Operation Red Pill. You know us, you love us, because we take you beyond conspiracy theories right to the heart of conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. Fire in the hole. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Bring the rain, returning fire in a world of ideas, part two. In the age of information, are we all benefiting from this sea of ideas we find ourselves in? Or does it open another battlefield in which truth is under continuous attack? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Fire in the hole. Everyone who has survived another week out there in the pod first. I am so happy to have you with us. We got so many things to discuss right here on Operation Red Pill, where we do like to take you beyond conspiracy theories right into the heart of conspiracy itself. But first things first, my man, Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. How you doing? Not doing bad. Not doing bad. Enjoying life. Loving being in the studio. It is feeling good to be back behind the mic. Yes. I'm loving it. But now I got some things I'm not loving, Christopher. I got some things that's bothering me. <laughs> All right. All right. Let, let, let's talk a little bit. Okay. I am noticing a trend that is going on in society that is really beginning to annoy me. Okay. Okay. Now, we have talked many times on this show, as we do, we've pontificated, we've extrapolated, we've even recapitulated a few times. <laughs> Okay, on this idea that our society is strategically detuned so that on the whole, we don't think as succinctly, holistically, or circumspectly as we should. Right? Yes. Okay, with that reality in place, there has been the rise of a a tool that is effective but incredibly dangerous in the wrong hands. And that is the tool of the meme. Tool of the meme. Yes. The tool of the meme makes tools of you and me. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. That's good. It's a problem because I think that the meme is catnip to a society that is conditioned to think with its emotions. Yeah, I would agree. Right? So you, you see the meme, you hear the point, you read it very quick. You you already have, as experts have said, an attention deficit issue. You right. Know, or at the age of Twitter, what we got, like 40 seconds, 30 second attention spans now? Something like that. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fine tuning it down to probably 15 seconds if they could. Right. We look at something super fast. We're already overly busy, overly hurried. In a rush. We don't have time to think about things deeply, right? Okay. And so the communique on the stream meme <laughs> is strategically designed to appeal to that type of reality, that type of person. And so things tend to be crafted in such a way that they're emotionally appealing, even though they are rationally bankrupt. Okay. But you have to spend time thinking about it to see the bankruptcy. This is true. Therein lies the rub. 
and we're full of memes. We are. Our society is saturated in them. It, it, it reminds me. So we talk about like slow degradation and whatever, right? Slow degradation and whatever. Well, the satanic control matrix. And like you were saying, they intentionally implement these things to degrade society, degrade society. Yeah. And the, the second part of the satanic control matrix is satanic brainwashing. Okay. And you're talking about like slower attention spans and things like that. And, and it reminds me, did you ever watch young justice? I did. The, the Justice League cartoon where they do the younger versions. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the, uh, there's the chick who was the Martian. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that caused um, social issues with her and the rest of the, the people was that she learned conflict resolution from television shows. <laughs> so this is funny because a lot of people look down on, on cartoons, but th- there's a lot of like social science and, and philosophy just, just in this one episode, right? If you have a well-written cartoon, it, there's a lot that could be communicated. And Young Justice is a well-written cartoon. Yep, I would agree. But she's having issues interacting with everyone because she learned about humanity from sitcoms. So she thought every issue, no matter how bad, could be resolved in about 45 minutes. Seems seems right. It seems stupid if, if you were... A part of human human society, but no, if, no, 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 it does not. No, no, because there are people right now who are asking the question. <laughs> considering what we see on 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 old footage, uh-huh. old film footage, everybody apparently looked at the world and they saw things in black and white. Oh, when did everybody start yeah. seeing in color? I forgot about that. I will never forget about that TikTok. That's crazy. Because this was a history teacher who got that question from one of his students. Like, legitimately, when did the world start seeing things in color? Everybody, you will not believe what I'm about to tell you. Especially if you're 45 or older. Hopefully younger. But today in class, for those of you who don't know, I do teach high school. And today in class, I had a student ask me if I was alive when the world was black and white. Yeah, yeah, that look you have, same look I had. I went, what, 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 what do you mean when the world was black and white? He said, you know, like in the old TV shows, the world was black and white. When did it go color? What? I was like, what, what do you mean when did it go color? He goes like, I mean, was the world black and white or did just everyone see black and white? Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? He goes, no, a lot of people say that the world used to be black and white. I'm like, are you, there's no way people believe this. He goes, ask other people. So I did. I said, hey, kids. How many of you used to think the world was black and white? Half of the kids raised their hand. No, and I'm talking like black and white Andy Griffith. They watched old TV shows and just thought the world used to be black and white. I I, I was shocked. I actually went to another classroom because thinking they're pranking me. No one can think this. There's no way. Went to another classroom Ask the same question. 50% of the kids raised their hand. Guys, we are in trouble. 
Who's going to take care of us? Not them. God help us. We need to start praying now. We need a revival in the United States because we're not going to make it. (laughs) Somebody I was reading the comments, they were like, oh, they captured it. They actually have historical footage of when the world switched from black and white into color. It's called The Wizard of Oz. Oz. Yeah. (laughs) It's exactly, we caught it on film. But there literally are people who think that, not that we recorded things in black and white, that human beings, when they looked at the world, physically saw things in black and white, not in color. Wow. So we are learning way too much from this device. Absolutely. That's nuts. It's beyond brainwashing. (laughs) So in, in the... In this, in Young Justice, she had to to learn about the actual dynamics of people. Okay, and that no, not everything can be resolved in forty five minutes. You know, sometimes it's more complicated. When you were explaining um, the the danger of a meme, I went high. We went from forty five minute sitcom episodes to one slide. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's enough. Hey, we can pack this up. We don't need to talk about nothing else. That is the rain that was brought. So no, so yeah, crazy that like, especially if we're dealing with theological issues, like we have thousands and thousands of years of research. I had to think because it sounded ridiculous, but we do. Thousands of years of research and study on these things. And so many people think, oh, the end all be all of that argument is this one picture that I saw on social media. Yep. And we get these over and over and over and over. It's part of desensitizing, the desensitizing part of brainwashing. The, what the, are those stages for, for people who aren't familiar? So it's uh, the three stages of brainwashing is desensitizing, jamming, and conversion. Okay. So desensitizing is where you just put it everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's So it this, becomes a norm. It becomes normal. Right. And then jamming is when they take and they lump the people that oppose the views and the brainwashing with things that everyone hates. So like if you're, uh, if you're opposed to Biden, let's say you're a Nazi, right? You, right. you, you hear this all the time. You're a, um, you're racist, you're racist, you're homophobic, you're, you know, you're clumped into a group that society as a whole hates. You know what they used to do earlier? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You know what they used to do earlier though? What? Cause they didn't have as, as um, inflammatory terminology, like you're racist or you're a neo-Nazi. Okay. So for, for us Christians, they used to say, well, you're closed-minded. Okay. Remember that? Yeah, and yeah. You don't want to be closed-minded. Right. Well, why can't you just be open-minded like the rest of us? You're, uh-huh. you're just closed-minded. Right. Fine, I don't want to be closed-minded. Let me hear your point. <laughs> okay, yeah. let me not shoot it down so much because I don't want to be viewed like that. Right. Yeah, they, soft, they softened it a bit. Now they're coming a little bit more for the throat. Right, but that's... I mean, in the science of brainwashing, that's the second stage is jamming. Right. So then you have to go, oh, I don't want to be lumped in this group. So you you run from it and run into the brainwashing. And then the last stage is conversion because just being okay with an idea is not enough. You have to be an advocate or a believer in the idea. Now, okay, my, I, I just blew a fuse. Okay. And the reason is I'm over here thinking about now, isn't that interesting? The form, the three stages in the, of brainwashing, or as you just mentioned, are uh, desensitizing, uh-huh. jamming, but it's the third one, conversion, right? Uh-huh. Anytime we, quote unquote, proselytize somebody, uh-huh. we are hit with, you're trying to convert me. <laughs> yeah. 
listen, I shouldn't be subject to your views. Not everybody on here. I don't care if you're in charge. If you're a Christian, we shouldn't have to hear about your views. Right. It's funny. That's your view. Yeah. <laughs> that's the view I got to hear about. But somehow the rules seem to be different for us. Uh-huh. But the goal of the system and those who control the system and the gods who control those people is actually to convert everyone. That's interesting. It seems like this war and battle is really about conversion on both sides. It is. So I guess maybe as as thinking believers, we really shouldn't be as uptight and afraid to convert other people's thought processes. Right. Because if we're not converting theirs, then we're being converted. What is that? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, there's like this this salesman thing. You know, if you're not selling, then you're being sold. Okay. Same thing. If you're not converting, you're being converted. Oh, that's dope. That's a t-shirt. I like that. We like to run with that one. <clears throat> so Christianity is under such attack through this this mechanism that people that aren't even saved have have recognized it. Have you seen that at all? What do you mean? So there's people that are on the fence or maybe haven't given Christianity a consideration and they go, why is it under such attack? Why during COVID was it only churches that were closed, not mosques, not synagogues? There, there is a, a specific attack, like we say at Operation Red Pill, on Christianity. And it's so obvious that people even outside of Christianity see it and go, huh, Maybe there's something to this. If all of the people that hate me are attacking Christianity, maybe there's some validity here. You know, now that you mentioned it, my mind flashed back to Ryan Dean from Dangerous World Podcast. He said that quite a few times on his show. Right, that right. While he uh, identifies as an agnostic, he has noticed that Christianity is under such vehement attack that it has made him reconsider his position. Mm-hmm. And think that maybe there is some truth to the to the claims of Christianity, given the the vehement assault that it has to endure day in and day out. Right. I think uh, Matt T from The Great Deception has said that, too. Yeah. OK. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, that people are starting to see this mm-hmm. and they're starting to wake up to it, which I think is great, because at least, you know, these attacks are vicious. They are. And they are, they're gut-wrenching at times. And they're really frustrating. And it's cool to at least see some measure of good come from that. That at least just the attack itself is going, okay, wait a minute. Right. That don't seem right. It's Mm kind of like what they say happened um, with minorities. You know, people didn't necessarily have a problem with some of the things that were happening in hearsay. But when you can see it, you see it on TV. That was kind of the thing with the Freedom Riders. Okay. When that's when those attacks that were happening in Alabama and some of the other southern states were broadcasted, now people were going, okay, wait a minute, something don't seem right about that. Okay, I gotcha. You know, there's power in being able to step back objectively and look at something with with a clear mind and say, okay, that doesn't seem right. Right, right. You know, I tip my hat off to people that are able to do that because that's not that common no. in our society, unfortunately. And it's not super easy. That's why memes are so effective. Right. And as nice as this is, is like you were saying, it's good that there's some some good and it's redundant. It's a good thing that there are some positive benefits to this attack. We still have to look at the Christians who are under that attack and and kind of help them figure out how to resolve this. Like, it's great that you people are realizing something's going on over here, 
but I need help. I'm drowning in fire over here. Yeah, sometimes that concentrated fire thing is not easy to withstand, especially when it's coming from all directions. And it seems like you're in a foxhole. You've got sustained fire coming at you from the front and from the sides, and you've kind of ducked behind a rock or a boulder. You've got some cover. You can hear the biz- the, 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 the bullets whizzing by. You know, you can uh-huh. hear them ricocheting off of things. But just when you've, you've figured out the correct space to be in to, to get away from the mortar, to get away from the small arms fire, and to get away from sustained machine gun fire, some a-hole lobs a grenade and you're like, really? This is what I got to deal with? That's what memes feel like. Okay. They're the grenade in the foxhole <laughs> under fire. All right. I like that. But the bad part is there are people walking by just chucking them off. Here, hold this for me. Yeah. You're yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> I can't even stand up and throw it because I'm going to be under fire. Right. That's funny. So for this, this type of show, we're talking about memes and on one of the first rule of the rules of engagement is to educate yourself and develop a strong mental aptitude. Right. So instead of just saying it, we thought we'd show some of that actually in practice. So Jason, I've got some memes here. Some you've seen, some you've not seen. <laughs> yeah. Now I get a little nervous. And the listeners get to see us tackle these grenades real time. Some of us in real time. No, full disclosure, I think I've only looked at I think one of these, one or two of these okay. that you put in here. That's exciting. So um, I will no, be as, I, I will I, be asking them. I'll be reading them to you and and I want to get your take. I'm, I mean, I'll offer my feedback too, but yeah, my take's going to be nonverbal. I'm just going <laughs> to crazy. Like who wrote this? So we are going to make an Instagram post with all of the memes. So if you want to see these while we're going through them, uh, you'll be able to get them. All right, let's kick it off. What you got? It says them. God gives us hardship to teach us lessons and strengthen our relationship with him. Me? What would you think of a husband who intentionally hurts his wife and kids and says he's just teaching them lessons and trying to deepen their family bond? Here's what's clever about, it's not really clever, but here's what's sad about this. Uh-huh. The example that's picked is one in which clear atrocities are being committed. Mm-hmm. And it's, situated against this idea of I'm doing this for your good. Right. Right. Like there could have been a much better example. Cause really what this, this attacks is the character of God. Right. We're going to see that over and over and over. That's really the, the thing that's being put on under spotlight, but it's done in a very casual way. And it's an appeal to your emotions. Right. Right. Cause everybody emotionally would react to this. And it's even more interesting to me that it's the male that's doing the problem. Okay. It'd be a little different if they were like, oh, God's like that? Well, you know, what'd you think of a wife <laughs> who right. intentionally cheats on her husband? Was like, I'm trying to help you learn perseverance and patience <laughs> so that you can endure things much worse than this. No, 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 no. Let's put this on the male figure. Right. Because, of got course, to. Got to. it's not only God's character that's attacked, but his system. Toxic masculinity. Well, I was going to say just male leadership. I was going to say toxic godulinity. Exactly. (laughs) You know, so I I have some problems with this. Here's what would have been a more interesting example to give. Okay. You know, them. God gives us hardships to teach us lessons and strengthen our relationship with with him, me. So what would you think 
of a parent who intentionally takes their kid to the hospital to get a shot that oh, hurts oh, them oh, 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 in order oh, to make sure that they stay healthier. And I'm going to say it's a good shot. I'm not even going to go down the road <laughs> of a toxic jab. Oh, you like a legitimate shot? Like legitimate. Okay. Because it hurts. It does hurt. Okay. But it does do you good. I, I thought you were going a different way with oh, it. Oh, I could go that way and quite easily, <laughs> you know, make that, make that case. But the point that I really wanted to make is the fact that good parenting doesn't protect a child from all harm. Right. Right? Right. It it teaches them how to handle. Oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 mis, I, mis, I misstated that. Good parenting does not protect a child from all pain. Pain. Right. Yep. It does protect them from harm. Yes. There is a categorical difference between the two. Mm-hmm. That's not being highlighted here. What's being highlighted is harm. Right. Like God just throwing you into the worst possible situation. Now, I, I will say, I, I, on, the, on the side of the, I hate to be the devil's advocate here, but when, when examples of um, hardships and trials that come from God, they tend to be ones that include harm. Okay, what do you mean? So a car accident, a loss of a child, like there's some traumatizing things that people have to go through. Mm-hmm. So I think you're 100% right that human parenting. I can't even think of one. What? Like I was going to jump to Job. Okay. And say, okay, Job experienced harm. Right? He lost his kids. I mean, boils and sores and covering yourself. That would be harm. None of that came directly from God, though. This is true. And the, the phrasing here, it says God gives. So I think that's important. Yeah. And so. While, while things are permitted, that wasn't direct towards Job. Right. Can, can I give my example? I'm sorry. Go ahead. To kind of, no, no, no. It's all right. So just to, to, to go back to the, the parent analogy, you know, that a husband who intentionally hurts his wife, that's not what God's doing. My thought is. A dad that puts, like if I put Jonathan into sport, say football, mm-hmm. there's a high probability that there's going to be physical damage, maybe even harm, right? I mean, you're getting, t- it's, a, it's a contact sport. You have to wear protection. People get bruised. You get broken bones relatively regularly in, the, in that kind of sport. You're, you're probably going to lose a game, which is going to be emotionally damaging, Right? Yeah, there's some pain involved with that. There is. Yeah. But there's so much more to be gained from that in that whole experience. Okay. And if you're just looking for therapeutic theology or a therapeutic life, then no, you wouldn't play football because there's a chance you could get hurt. You wouldn't ride a motorcycle or drive a car or anything because there's a potential of damage and, and things things bad actually happen. But the, the greater good that comes from those experiences. And it's, it, it almost sounds cliche when you say the greater good, but there is so much more to be gained from an experience than just the, the negative emotions or even bodily harm that life has. And it's not that God prescribes these to his people, but he has to, he equips his people to overcome hardship. So I've got my hand up. 
Okay. I, out of the bat, I missed the bigger issue. Okay. Who in the world is the them that said God gives us hardships to teach us lessons and strengthen our relationship with him? <laughs> okay. Who's that? Because if that's if that's a Christian, that sounds like cliche Christianese. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm wondering what's the contextual framework for that? Where where did it come from? Okay. I mean, at least what we have from Christ is that he says, you're going to have hardships in this life. Yeah. Period. Now, this is God himself talking. You're just going to have hardships in this life. Mm-hmm. You're in a fallen world. He's not even going talking about, and I'm giving you these to teach you. Right. No, it's, it's just part of life. Right. The beauty is when he can take those things and make them something meaningful. To to take a loss there you go. and have it not be a pointless loss. Which he's promised to do for those who, who love him. Right. It's not a promise that extends to those who are hostile towards him. Mm-hmm. But for those who love him, he's promised to take things that are evil and work good out of it. That doesn't mean that he's the one giving you the evil. Right. So if I was to really answer this, I'd have to start at the beginning and go, I reject the premise of this. All right. From the beginning. I don't know who the them is. I don't know why they're saying that. That tends to be a poorly constructed view just in and of itself. And it may have been taken out of context, but it provides the springboard for this attack response. Okay. And this attack response poorly frames <clears throat> God and, and attacks his character. All right. So I got a whole bunch of issues. I, I, I throw this out. No. God is not about destroying the family bond. God instituted the family. Right. He's about creating the optimal environment to raise children. Now, that's an entire other episode. <laughs> what actually, it kind of leads into this next this next meme. Oh, we can awesome. roll right into it. Yeah, because then I don't have to describe what the optimal family environment is. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. Oh, because I was going to piss a lot of people off, I'm oh, sure. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we're going to piss some people off today? For sure, for sure. Oh, well, right on. Let's go to the <laughs> next one. So this next one is like a text conversation, right? Okay. It says, I just figured out the entire Christian religion is just a giant daddy kink. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yeah. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned is the same as I've been naughty, daddy. So the, re- the response is clearly someone that's not on board with this. And they're like, I'm, I'm going to have to very politely ask you to stop. The response is, every week the giant daddy in the sky demands you get on your knees and beg for forgiveness. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is going far left quick. It is. Make it stop. He even makes his most devoted littles dress in special outfits just for him. And then the last response is, I'm going to have to block your number. <laughs> that seems appropriate. Right. So this, this is interesting, but this is not the first time I've come across this. Really? Yes. This idea of using a sexual perversity in order to describe God? Uh-huh. Now, I find this incredibly intriguing. What the deuce? How do you mean? Yeah, I know. That, that was a very <laughs> bad segue, right? Well, you and I have had this whole conversation. I'm not going to get into it, mm-hmm. but we've had this conversation of um, given the way that God has designed creation uh-huh. and the fact that he's put sexuality into things, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about intercourse, but the deeper parts of sexuality. Could there be an argument made that God is a sexual being, not that he's having sex? Right. But that these things that we quote unquote call sex are manifestations of deeper realities and aspects of his being. 
Yes. Like the desire to pursue, like the desire to replicate himself in people, mm-hmm. like the desire to actually spill his life for the good of another. Mm-hmm. You and get what I'm saying? Yeah. And relational intimacy and all of that. Yeah. yeah. All of those things. I have to be very clear because there are some twisted people who are like, you talking about panspermia? I mean, what, what, are you, what are you talking about over here? No, no. But there are some Christians who I've talked to about this idea that couldn't handle it. And they got relatively offended just at the idea of God being a quote unquote sexual being, no matter how far in that spectrum they took it. Uh-huh. I find it fascinating that someone who obviously is not a supporter of God <laughs> had no problem attaching sexual attributes to him, right. although they are extremely perverse. Uh huh. It's just, just interesting. It is interesting. So do you, you know what I see when I see this? Okay. What? <clears throat> well, when I read it, it's interesting that the phrasing d- denotes like a, um, not an abstraction, but it's not something they're into. It's not, I've noticed that my daddy kink is the same as this, this religious thing over here. Okay. It's the same as a giant daddy kink, right? Mm-hmm. So the, uh, forgive me, father, I have sinned is the same as I've been naughty daddy. So I wonder where you come across these ideas. Cause I don't imagine if you're following a biblically oriented life, right? Uh-huh. That you're going to have many crossroads with with this phrasing, with these interactions, right? Mhm. So I've got to say porn, right? Okay. Porn's the first thought that clearly this is where we come into contact. And if not porn, just um unabashed promiscuity. You uh, you're going to run into some of this, I'm sure. Okay. But all of this is a perversion of God's created order, which is what you were saying a minute ago, is the best possible grounds to raise children in, right? And and propagate a nation and in, in, in humankind. These things are perversions of God's created order. Why would it not also be a perversion of not just the home, but also actual aspects of his relation to his people? Absolutely. I could go with that. Now, do you really want to know what I see when I see this? Sure. You ready? Yeah. You'll buckle up? I'm I'm buckled in. Okay, here goes the first piss off. First thing that I notice here, <laughs> yeah. Aside from the comedic value, because given my my unique <laughs> nature of comedy and humor, uh-huh. I'd find this hilarious. Well, that's why I wanted to wait, and this is one you hadn't seen before yeah. just now. I'm doing my best <laughs> not to laugh because that whole "I've been naughty, daddy" is hilarious. Okay, but what's intriguing here is the the embedded contextual framework that's not being addressed. Like it's right under the surface and it's close enough that we all can relate to it, but it's, it's obscured enough that you don't immediately pick up on it. Okay. And that's the fact that while it says, I just figured out Christian religion, it subtly describes Catholicism. Okay. I, 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 I was thinking that a little bit, but, yeah. Okay. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You don't see that phrasing anywhere in scripture. Right. But we do get that from pop culture a lot. Where do we see that? When when we're, we're replicating uh, Catholic procedure and ritual. Right, right. Right. This is what you say in confession. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Okay. You know, I, I've looked at at, at four, four women and three dudes. Uh, well, I tell you what, you go ahead. You have two <laughs> Hail Marys and one... I was going to say one Peter, but that was going to go left real wow. quick. Wow. And two demerits. Breaks. <laughs> two demerits and all is forgiven. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. That, that's where we see that. If 
even you got the whole, uh, you know, you got to get on your knees begging forgiveness. Okay, that's a little bit twisted. But he even makes his most devoted little littles dressed in special outfits just for him. Mm-hmm. All that still speaks to some of the stuff we've heard in the news with the uh, the perversities that have gone on within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. If you take Catholicism as a, a whole from a let's see how do I want to how do I want to say this historically speaking Catholicism is an a sect of Christianity and present day there are several indications that it developed into a pagan religion with Christian overtones. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about the worship of Mary. I'm talking about the fact that it, it fits the pagan framework of a father, God, a mother, God, and a son, God. I'm talking about the rituals that are required that are not found in scripture or authorized by scripture. I'm also talking about the establishment of the Pope, all of these type of things. That, mm-hmm. that point to that. Now, just for the sake of, of record, I'm not saying that every person who is a practicing Catholic is not a serious follower of Christ. You do have those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean as a religious system, right? Yeah. It's not my opinion. It is not the out the outworking or outbirth of biblical discipleship of Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So with that, then I got to say that it's a perversion of pure, pure devotion to Christ, right? As a framework and a system. Uh If that's the case, then those things that are attached with it would also be skewed or perverted. So it makes sense that you find it in in this type of thing, right? Well, it would make sense to me that it's used as an uh, as a subtone or subtext to this. Okay. And with it, the sexual perversion that's been found in that in that group. Right. Like not just not just we're, we're and again, I'm not just talking about a couple people who were having problems maintaining their vow of of chastity. Right. Okay, I get I get that. We're not even talking about fathers sleeping and put that. We're not talking about uh, would it be a parishioner or is that that's the person who attends a church, right? I'm not sure. We're not talking about priests sleeping with nuns. Right. We're talking about a very specific type of sexual encounter that is a perversity. Uh-huh. Right. We're, we're talking violation of minors, violation of children, and it being done by the priest who carry the term father. So a sexual violation of fathers. Right. Which then has an echo of perversity to it with incest. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from a certain perspective, right? I get that. That's what this whole thing is dancing on. Okay. And then it 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 situates it right underneath the title of Christian. That's a lot that's embedded in there. there yeah. And it, it cloaks is. it underneath humor. Mm-hmm. You know, humor makes the pill go down easier. Yeah, it does. Clever. <clears throat> is that all you have for that one? Yeah. I, I mean, I throw this one out. This is crap. Yep. Nonsense. But we have to realize that we're constantly being 
um, bombarded by these ideas. And if we don't properly contend with them in, in the ideological plane, then they're slowly working to desensitize us. I do have to confess, I am curious what the next response was going to be after I'm blocking <laughs> your number. Because this person was incredibly belligerent. Oh, yeah. The and they're, they're not going to stop. Right. So I really want to see how did this really end? That's funny. But that, that's all we got. That's all I had for the meme. Ah, see, I feel disappointed. It was anticlimactic. <laughs> My bad. Anyway, this next one. Sin is an imaginary disease invented to sell you an imaginary cure. Okay. So this one, can I answer right off the bat? I already got something. All right. And we want to do an episode about um, different types of government, right? Yeah. And it... We do? We do. We've talked about it, and it's come up in other episodes. So now I'm chomping at the bit. Like, when I was putting this show note together, I was like, should I do this other show note? Because we've got to do it. Because it's so... I think it's pertinent. Okay. And it speaks here. So if sin is an imaginary disease, that the... Well, first off, just physically in our physical existence, we have the everything in in a closed system degrades into entropy. And the Bible says that sin is a downward spiral, which is, you know, you get parallels there from the second law of thermodynamics and what God says about sin. But outside of that, look at the way that humans have tried to fix this, this issue. If there's, let's just say there's no sin, right? Uh-huh. Then why do we have all of these different forms of government that don't seem to work? Because communism on paper, it, uh, okay, now our conversation's coming back to me. <laughs> it could actually work, but what's the problem? The people that are in positions of power can't be trusted because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Why doesn't socialism work? Same reason. Why doesn't uh, a um? Wow, I just lost the word. King and queen, and and what's that? A monarchy. Mm. Why wouldn't a monarchy work? Well, because then you get corruption of the the ruling family. Capitalism has worked for a minute, but you get this um, Darwinian survival of the fittest from an economic perspective. And eventually that's going to lend itself to the monstrosity of capitalism that we have today, that everything is owned by three companies, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. So if all of these very intricate, well thought out systems to help develop a prosperous environment for human flourishing have failed and they've failed on the behest of human corruption. How can you have the audacity to claim that sin isn't real? No, that's good. And I'm with you hundred percent on that. It okay. took me a minute to remember our, our conversation. <laughs> I was like, how do you not know? We talk about so uh, yeah, much. Yeah, I know that's fair. Sometimes these small nuances, I file them differently. <laughs> And you're like, we talked about governance. I'm like, that wasn't a government conversation, but I heard it back. <laughs> but no, I, 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 that's funny. I'm 100% right on board with you. I find this particularly interesting. Okay. Number one, um, they say sin is an imaginary disease, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you know if you have it or you don't? Well, because people tell you that you have it. But what if they have it? I'm not tracking. Well, it's imaginary, right? Okay. So somebody's got to be able to tell you from an absolute perspective that you do or don't have it. What are the standards? And how do I know if you're not affected by it? You okay. might just be telling me that it's imaginary. Interesting. Maybe you've convinced yourself that you don't have this thing that you really have. How, how do I know? What are our metrics here? Okay. None of that is, is being identified. 
if it is imaginary, then why do we have so many laws? <laughs> like, what's the what's the effect of nonsense? Uh huh. You know what nonsense is? Nonsense. <laughs> this idea that, that that we don't have it. Okay. More importantly, this particular meme the 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 meme is situated with the back on the. Um, there's a backdrop used to this meme that has the Holy Bible, right? Mm-hmm. But I find it curious the the Bible, quote unquote, is not the only book that talks about sin. This is true. But that's the one that's attacked. Yeah. I don't see a Quran up there. Does the Quran call it sin? I think they do. Okay. I don't know how you're mm. going to come out of the Abrahamic tradition and not or faith and not have that concept that's built fair. in. That's fair. Judaism. I don't see no scrolls up here and a yarmulke. Yeah. Oh, I don't see any of that. <laughs> What's going on? No, all we got is the Holy Bible that's sitting there. Another direct attack on the Christianity. Well, because I think the slight of to sell you an imaginary cure is Jesus is the imaginary cure. Well, that was the next point to get to. Invented to sell you an imaginary cure. Right. Like what part was invented? The sin. Sin's not real. Uh-huh. Wrongdoing, which we we wouldn't have any concept of without a divine lawgiver. All right, but see, I say that what what was invented, mm-hmm. you get the concept of sin from the scrolls. Okay. Were the scrolls invented? Yeah. No, the scrolls were, I mean, they weren't imaginary, is, is my point. Oh, imaginary, no. Yeah. I was like, somebody invented a scroll. Right, 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 right. I, I didn't ask the question correctly. Uh, the scrolls weren't, in, it weren't imaginary. They were real. Right. The events they record are accepted as as history. Right. So where did this thing become imaginary from? So far, everything's been legitimate and legitimately proven to be real. Huh. That's interesting. But go all the way forward since this thing is attacking the imaginary cure. Jesus was real. Uh-huh. The Romans proved that. Right. Even under pain of death. So that can't be imaginary. So we're not saying the person's imaginary. What are we saying? That their death was imaginary? No, because that really happened. Exactly. You're starting to see where I'm getting at. Uh-huh. Is it the meaning of their death that's imaginary? Huh. It doesn't seem to line up with history because most people just don't go around dying for something that doesn't seem true. Right. What about the apostles after that that actually committed their entire life unto horrific deaths? Right. And for his, something that was imaginary? And Jesus' brothers, who didn't believe that he was the Messiah until after he rose from the dead. Maybe this is just an imaginary cure. Yeah. Cool. So 2,000 years later, with this imaginary cure supposedly on, on deck, how have we been working out in places that don't acknowledge that? <laughs> I mean, uh, this person, here's what I want to say, really straight up. Whoever wrote this, cool. If sin is an imaginary disease invented to sell you an imaginary cure, I got one question. You lock your doors at night? <laughs> I love the way that you do that. What? That you have these really simple ways of uh, uh, breaking down an argument, right? You know, people close to me don't tend to appreciate this, <laughs> this particular quality. I, pre- I've, I have lived through the gauntlet. When, when we <laughs> met, I was pantheistic and I was lost and I have had to suffer years of those statements being pointed at me. I was like, yeah, I do lock my doors at night. You said suffer. Man, what? He got, <laughs> I I got to undo like three years I of, of belief <laughs> because I lock my doors at night. I resent I the fact you. that you, I hate you. suffer. <laughs> it was not easy. 
That is hilarious. So it's it's really, really great to now be refined and appreciate that weapon as you pointed at other people and not me. That's it's, funny. It's man. wonderful. I appreciate that. I got a really good friend of mine that uh, I don't think they appreciate it at times <laughs> uh, when it's directed at them. And it's so unintentional. And I, I mean, let me, I'll be clear. I am really grateful for that transitional period of my life. Because mm-hmm. I really was dumb. I hadn't been trained how to think or how to look at things to have them make sense. And I was so lost that all you had to do is give those little, let me ask you one question, and the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. As difficult as that was for me to get through, I'm forever grateful that you helped me through that refining process. So now my ideas don't fall apart with a single question. I appreciate that, bro. Because like I said, for, for me growing up, not a lot of people appreciated that. I that, mean, it's not tag. easy. I, uh, and I've been on the receiving end of it as well. <laughs> uh, my boy Phil, who would do do the same thing. I tell you what, though, man, it's kind of interesting. You watch. I love It Man. I think uh-huh. we talked about this on our, our first version of this. Yeah. But the martial art discipline of Wing Chun is so fascinating. Because it's not one that's that's built on these predisposed forms. Like karate would be Mm -hmm. it's more fluid and it normally rests within taking what your opponent has given you and redirecting it right like so effective and i remember watching the movie it man just being in awe like how how do you do that how do you sit in one place and have people coming at you and just move redirect hit here shove there readjust there like these are deadly things coming at you and he's just (laughs) so fluid like he's dancing I'm like, I wish I could do that. Yeah. And it's interesting to, to try and be able to do that with arguments. I think you do it ideologically. Uh, I hope so. But it man made it look cool. So I need soundtrack <laughs> and some sound effects. We're doing it. All right. You, you can add some music to this. <laughs> so what's your next one, man? What we got? Well, I do just, just to close that one out, because we can evidently clearly see that human corruption and sin is an actual thing from the way our governments are formed to the fact that we lock our doors at night. The cure then is also just as real. Jesus Christ. All right. I like that. All right. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Says, uh, if you worship a God who's killed millions of babies, shut up about abortion. Now, let me think about that. Okay. Okay. A couple interesting things come to mind. All right. Let me hear him. Let me hear him. First thing is I think this person should shut up about abortion. <laughs> okay. Okay, second thing, which God are we talking about? Okay. Are we talking about a God of religion, a God of state? Which supreme entity? Because if you, and how we define worship, because if you define worship as to hold in high regard, like beyond honor, Mm -hmm. but to hold in highest esteem to which you are willing to adjust your life toward. Okay. And if you define God as the state, the most supreme and important being in your life that you worship. Okay. Yeah. Then I think many people, the state would fit in that position. And they've killed millions of babies. They have. So shut up about abortion, (laughs) especially knowing that our government is dedicated to all pagan gods. Exactly. Huh? That's interesting. Are are we done with that one? No. (laughs) So let's, let's go back a minute though. If we're dealing with this one, the obviously the subtle inference is that 
Oh, not so subtle. But the the inference <laughs> is is on uh, a God of the Bible, right? Right. Where are the points where we're talking about millions of babies being killed? I wondered that too. So I was doing a little bit of research on the side for this. And it seems to me that they talk about the flood. Okay. Because that killed a bunch of people and there was probably babies there. I think okay. they just use babies because it incites emotion. I'm not trying to be flippant. And I think death of anyone is, is, is death. It's a loss. Okay. But just the, the way that they handle the, the phrasing of the question is to elicit responses. So we don't care about the people that died, but you killed innocent, innocent little babies, right? Which it doesn't even say. Right. It just says millions of babies. Right. But it's to trigger this emotional response. So I believe we have the flood is what they attack. I believe we have the uh, Passover issue in Egypt that came and killed the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be the only two. I can't think of any. A lot of the other, <laughs> the other mass slaughter of infants really comes from pagan ideologies. King Herod. Um, it's more where I was at. The um, what was the uh, uh, Pharaoh? Whatever. Hot, non-Germanus, the one that wasn't the Egyptian guy that came in. Um, yeah, so there's been a, a bunch more specifically directed slaughter of infants on the pagan side. And not that we're trying to balance the equation here. Mm-hmm. But I, I've got to say just the, the, the two main, and maybe I'm missing some, but the two main ones would be the flood because it killed everybody and then the Passover issue in Egypt. And for those listeners that aren't aware of that, Pharaoh refused to release the Israelites to go worship him. So Pharaoh was told over and over and over, look, if you don't do this, these bad things are going to happen. And the last one was that um, an angel of the Lord would slaughter the firstborn of every house. Even that of the, the Israelites. It was everyone in the land of Egypt. So the way that you could avoid this is by painting um, the door frame in the blood of a lamb so that death would then pass over them, which was a model to fit Christ. That if you accept Christ and his sacrifice, that death would no longer have its talons in you, essentially. Right? Spot on. That, okay. Spot on. There's a couple extensions, though, I think, to make to that story. Okay. Which is the fact that the while Pharaoh did refuse, what it did was it provided an opportunity to judge Egypt and Egypt was a nation built off of a pantheon of gods. So the 10 plagues that are recorded in scripture are actually 10 distinct judgments against deities worshiped in that culture that took exception to Yahweh and who Yahweh was actually proving. I am the most high. Right. Up to and including the firstborn because it started with Pharaoh and Pharaoh is a death and resurrection guy. You should be able to resurrect your child. And you couldn't. And that was the final straw uh, in a line of any one of these you can say release. But right. since you're not, I'm also judging you as a as a human being proclaiming to be God, right. which would be blasphemous. Mm-hmm. And I'm judging the people who have worshipped you as God. Right. It wasn't even just about murdering babies, which this thing takes out of context. Yep. This this meme also places a number on there. Like I, I tried reading it with different numbers. If you worship a God who's killed 10 babies, 
It shut doesn't, up it doesn't about feel abortion. The same. <laughs> right? No, I try to. If you worship a god that's killed two hundred fifteen, one hundred thirty thousand. Okay. I'm just just saying it. the numbers thing is kind of important. Uh huh. If I worship a god that's only killed one baby, is that is that okay? Huh? How that's did the baby die? Was it brutal? Well, did it fall asleep in in in, in the womb? And just you know, stillborn? Did it? Did it fall asleep outside of the womb? You know, in in the middle of the night. What what happened? Okay. You know, all of these these emotional components that are that also carry argumentative weight. They're emotional components that make you shift in your perspective of the position without necessarily considering the factual reality behind it. Okay. And that's a problem. That's one of the things that memes do. Right. I could easily flip this thing around and say, you know what? If you have never been aborted, shut up about abortion. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. This thing is is a really flippant type of meme. It is. Well, a lot of them are. A lot of them, like you were saying, are just designed to incite an emotion. And it takes, especially if you're unpracticed, it takes a lot of thinking to kind of dig underneath the emotion and be like, that really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, nobody talks about the fact that God told his people, do not kill your children. Do right. not cause them to pass through the fire. That uh-huh. is an abomination to me. It, what about if you worship a God who finds an abomination for you to kill your own children? No, Nobody wrote that. Right, and it's so out of context, just in a, a naturalistic sense. Do you think America has been guilty of of killing and outside of abortion, just say war efforts, right? Do you right. think that babies have died when we go into other countries and drop bombs Absolutely. and shoot people? Yeah. So could you say, I mean, but, but America is not labeled as guilty of those, right? Right. It's it just, it's, it's so weird the way that, that you take a mishmash of ideas and go, this is what I want it to say, that God has killed a million babies. So then women, or God has seen the death of a million babies, right? Mm-hmm. So then individual women can choose to murder their babies. Babies. I was like, that's not even, we're not even playing the same game here. It, it's it's weird. Would this be better if if he had killed adults? No. Right, it wouldn't have. So the, one of the reasons it sticks out, like we were saying a moment ago, is the emotional right. argument. We're picking babies for a reason. Not just to try to be supportive of abortion, but because we all have this inherent view, most of us do, on the innocence of a, of a baby and mm-hmm. the unique value, if we will. or uh, Maybe not value, but the speciality because of that innocence of a baby. Yeah. Not that the life is worth more than the life of an adult, but I think we recognize that unique specialness. And so we're a bit more sympathetic to that death as opposed to other ones. But if that's the case, why are we advocating then for abortion? If the baby is special in the sense of the God killing it and that shouldn't be done, Uh then how's the baby not special in the sense of the abortion and the mother killing it? It, it doesn't, this dog won't hunt. None of this computes. It doesn't. 
It, tr- it It's really good at triggering emotion. That's it. But that's it. Yeah, I throw that one out. All right. Moving on to the next one. This is another one that you've seen this one before, but this you pulled your nice Wing Chun on this one. So, <laughs> so, so for the listener that is unaware of, of, of the particular dynamics, <clears throat> and not just to give you you know, unsolicited compliments or whatever, but you were, you were trying to set up audio. You were running through, you were doing like three or four different things. Mm-hmm. And me being the the younger brother, I was like, so since you're not busy, um, <laughs> since you got free time, I'm having trouble head. with this, but what do you think? And I really thought it was going to stump you. Right. Mm-hmm. And you fired back without even breaking stride. You didn't even look at me. You're just like facing your computer, checking some stuff over here. You know, these volumes. Oh, by the way, blah, 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 blah. I was like, You've got to be kidding me. How did you? So, no, this was great. That's funny. So this is a quote by uh, Christopher Hitchens. It says, I challenge you to find one good or noble thing which cannot be accomplished without religion. It is impossible. You cannot do it. I think what I told you was define good. Yeah, you did. I was like, oh, man, that's it. That's so good. Well, this is built on that. I mean, if you can't find one good thing, you've got to at least differentiate between good and evil. To know that. Yeah, if there is a good thing or a noble thing, right? how do we know which things are good and which things are are noble? And if for this to stand, it's got to be an absolute standard. It can't be subjective. Right. That's going to require, like you were saying a moment ago, a law Mm -hmm. by which, like a divine absolute law by which we can differentiate between good and evil. Something higher than the state because... Even with Nazi Germany, we recognize that just following orders of the state is not morally right. There is a higher law that right. we as humanity recognize. It that could we be have ethically to... permissible. Right. But, but not, not morally. morally. Right. Which would make it not good. Exactly. So all of that requires a standard, a being that is transcendent of our objectionable opinions on things mm-hmm. and that we would have to use good their standard of good in order to differentiate. But if you're going to that being by definition, you're now stepping to the realm of Godhood mm-hmm. and with that comes religion. Yeah. <laughs> They're inseparable. Right. So I was like, nah, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good, quick, cleverly worded type type of meme, but it doesn't stand. It I mean, doesn't it's built on this, you know, this, uh, what, what do they call that? Relativism? No, no, there's a thing in, in, in an argument, um, the crux. It's built on this crux that's faulty. Okay. Yeah. Because I like what uh, Frank Turek says that because atheist and not that atheist can't be moral people. That's not what we're saying because that gets confused. There, I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of atheists that live within a moral parameter better than than some Christians do. That's not the argument. The argument from an ideological perspective is that atheists don't have any grounds to develop morality on their own. They have to borrow that capital from Christians. Exactly. And like uh, Frank Turek says, that you have to sit in the lap of God to smack him in the face. Yeah, I like that one. So, no, I don't think that that there's so what's it say? I challenge you to find one good or noble thing which cannot be accomplished without religion. It's impossible. Sure, but without religion, without recognition of a God who sets an objective moral law, things cannot be good nor evil. Right. 
So falls apart quickly. It does. Sorry. But I think most people hear that they may go through the the red herring, which is trying to chase down this whole idea of what's the good thing. Right. Because it is an interesting thought. Like, can you be good without religion? But you you have to reject the premise of the question because it's based off of faulty assumptions, like you were saying. Right. All right, Leo. <laughs> I like that. This next one. This oh, next Leo from the West Wing? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. This next one's pretty interesting. Uh, it says, and God rested on the seventh day because apparently omnipotence has its limits. It's crazy how often the character it of God is is attacked. Isn't it though? I was more intrigued at the fact that it it, it strikes me as hilarious some of the familiarity that people have with Christian doctrine that you need to have in order to attack it in certain ways. Okay. Like you have to know that God rested on the seventh day. No, you have to know that God's omnipotent. Okay. Like I'm sitting here going, who taught you omnipotent? <laughs> That's not something we run around talking about these days, especially not in a meme. Right. I was like, you should go to a doctor for that. Are you sure he's got omnipotence? <laughs> Uh, he's got <laughs> take a Z pack for that. Yeah, one. you gonna need something for that. I think hey, he got that booster shot. That's why he got omnipotence. That's funny. Yeah, he have definitely have to rest. Okay, so this one on the surface, I get. Okay, uh, I think that I, I'm not even mad at this person. It's kind of funny. I had the same question growing up. Okay, you had a lot of questions that irritated church people. A lot. It's all right. So did I. Yeah, I had a lot of them. I still have them. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't gone <laughs> our, away. Our podcast is... <laughs> Their entire podcast is, is irritating based, church people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was this idea, well, if God's resting, he must have been tired. That's the assumption, yeah. Yeah, that, but that's the only way we use rest. Okay, yeah. Go take a nap. You're tired. You need to go rest. Okay, we don't think of rest as a, cist- as a cistate, cessation. I think that's the right word. As a cessation of activity. Okay. Right? Like, mm-hmm. if you turn your engine off to let it rest, it's not because it's tired. Now, we'll turn it off so we don't get unnecessary wear in the engine, right? Right. But just turn it off. It's, you know, you're resting your engine for a moment. So, you're just not running it. So, it's getting a break from running. Uh-huh. Not because it's tired. Right. It's just getting a break. Or it it's is. stopping the process of running. Yes. God rested on the seventh day. It was not. He took a nap. Right. It's like, ooh, this was hard. God just ceased the creation process. Right. He went on to other things. Mm-hmm. He has something else to do, like sustaining creation. <laughs> yes. He picked that right up. So he wasn't sitting back, kicking back in the divine hammock. Right. With his feet up, resting on Saturn. Like, ah. Right. And it doesn't. like Finally. You, like you said, it doesn't say that he was exhausted or he had to rest. He chose to rest. Yeah. It's a total. But, but part of the misconception is due to the limitating nature of English and modern day English. Like yeah. things have changed 2000 years later. Mm-hmm. Things have changed a thousand and some odd years later, you know, from the, from things have changed. What? 500 years later. Yeah. I'm guessing the King James, and I'm guessing cause I, I don't have it right in front of me. Let me see here. Since I got modern technology in front of me. Okay. Well you do that. I have something that I want to say. Really? But you're going to throw me off. Okay. So I don't okay, have something. got it. <laughs> so King James was written in, in 1611. Okay, that's way later. Yeah, but that's not that far from here. No. Right? So we're, we're talking what? 
a little over 400 years, mm-hmm. our language has changed a lot in that amount of time. Yeah. So what rested would have meant then is not uh, the same what as what it means now. Right. So I can kind of understand the misconception. Okay. Especially if you pair that up with he's omnipotent. But I would have a philosophical question. Okay. Does being quote unquote all powerful mean that you couldn't rest even if it meant being tired? There's a lot of assumptions that come along with this title, all powerful. And and that would be one of them that mm-hmm. you don't that you don't have to rest or you can't rest if you're all powerful. I have another question here that I'm just going to raise. Okay. Does scripture ever say that God is all powerful? Um, wow. You're going to spring that on me live on the show. Oh, you like to do that crap to me. So yeah, <laughs> welcome back. What is, wow, this is embarrassing. Is that all power and glory? Or ascribed all, to all power, all glory, ascribed to you? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Our Christian friends are going to murder us. Right. Now, I don't think that it uses the word omnipotence. Yeah, I would say I haven't seen that. Right. But it does describe him having all power. Okay, let's run with that. Okay. So if God has all power, mm-hmm. define all. Is that all? Inclusively or exclusively? Exactly. That's a good question. And just Still is not clear. Right. Because and, there are clearly things that God does not have the power to do. Yes. And all this, we've wanted to do this. I've wanted to do this episode for a while. Okay. Is the, the limitations of God, like yeah. as a Christian. Yeah, you know, that's going to piss People are Christians already off. mad. Yeah, 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 I can feel it. <laughs> Like some of the stuff he can't do. He can't lie. He can't be surprised. You, you talk about me with those Wing Chun judo chops. <laughs> All of those are making people mad. Yeah. Because, well, it flies in the face of what you're taught. It does. You know, is, is God sovereign? Yes. He refers to himself, from what I could tell, as being the most high. Right. There's no other spiritual being higher than him. There's no other spiritual being that has more power than he has. Right. Right. But I think we, again, English language, I think we kind of get some of these misconceptions built in with some of our, our language. Mm-hmm, like for sure. omnipotent. Like that's all potent, all directions, no limitations whatsoever on, on my power. But with that, you get the the ridiculous, like, well, if you are all powerful, can you create something that's, you know. And could you create have, a rock that you couldn't lift? Right. Yes, I could. It's ridiculous. It's not, it's not as much a legitimate attack against God is it is an attack on the idea of omnipotence. Right. But then you run into a different problem. Well, how mm. do you define God? Right. That's probably the bigger issue. You have to get from a, from a, a, a biblical definition, not just pulling on these, these phrases or these terms that we've and heard unfortunately, before. Yeah. You can't even always rely on a seminary definition, you know, uh, from, from, theology books right because so many of those i don't want i don't want to go as far as to say as so many but a good number of those have been infiltrated Uh uh-huh right they've been infiltrated by by rothschild cutouts right that have had the ability to influence what goes in them because you know he who has the gold makes the rules so to speak Mm -hmm. that affects our understanding downwind because that's what's taught in seminaries. So people who are coming up, go to seminary, have kind-hearted, good, 
good intentions, whatever. That's what they get taught. And you run with it. I think one of the best definitions of God is he who was uncaused. Right. The unmoved mover. The great I am. Mm -hmm. But that one got on my nerves. I was like, well, what are you? Right. That one seems a little Christianese. The great I am? Well, just because it's not, it's not usually explained. Yeah, th that kind of frustrated me. So I do have another thing to say about this one. Okay. It's interesting when we try to separate God from his relational aspect to us, right? Okay, what do you mean? That he's just this, this thing in the sky that we're trying to argue against, right? All right. And a lot of times the intimacy or the, the relational aspects of it are missed. Okay. I think one of the reasons he rested on the seventh day was to set an example. Of? The fact that rest is necessary for us. In, in a lot of ways, and I haven't completely vetted this, but it seems to me that God does, has not asked us to do things he was not willing to fulfill himself. Okay, I'll give you that. So we have Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus as God coming down, having a will. What all, Every time people are like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm here to do the will of my father. Right. He could have been doing whatever. I mean, essentially, he could have done his own will and, and still fulfilled prophecy and everything. But every time he's met with that question, I'm here to fulfill the role of my father as he models um, submission to the, the head. And he, he does this in part to show us that when we are asked to submit to him, all we have to do is model what he's already done. It's a real effective style of leadership. It is. So when God instituted the fact that there's a day of rest that we need weekly, he points back to the fact that he rested. Look, I did this. You might not know you need to rest, but you need to rest because even the land needed to rest. Every seventh year was supposed to be uh, a year that you gave the, the land a break, right? Right. But the land doesn't sleep. No, it doesn't. But it you can stop harvesting on the land and that was supposed to be rest. Right. So just because like you were saying, God didn't necessarily fall into slumber. He just stopped creating. But I think the reason that it's even expressed this way is because he's setting forth the example. There's a lot of things that I do with my son that I step twice and do a different way. So he can learn the safe way to navigate this. doesn't mean that I'm limited by that. It's true. You know, I, I am perfectly capable of eating spaghetti with my fingers, but it's not a good idea for him to do it. So I'll eat it with a fork to set an example. Technically, it's not a good idea for you to do it either. Well, it's not, but I'm not saying I'm saying that I'm not limited no, I, I to a it. fork. I get but it. I eat and I do things in front of my son to set a standard, even though I might not have to do that on my own. And I really think that we see that a lot of times with God is he's like, look, do as I do, not the whole do as I say, not as I do. He's like, look, be just like me. Th this is how I did it. You can, you can do it this way too. I'd agree with you hundred percent. And I'd add to that, even as God rested again, he didn't stop doing things. Right. And even as we were given the Sabbath as a day of rest, there were still things we were given to do, which underscores the fact that the day of resting is not about not doing per se. Right. It's not about sleeping all day. Right. Yeah. There are still things to be done. Right. This, this meme 
is built on the backdrop of a person laying down sleeping. Right, right. This meme has got words that are communicating information, and it's also got a visual that is communicating information. And that is of a a divine being laying on almost looks like a planet or something like that. Right. Catches some Z's because he's had a hard day's work. Mm -hmm. That's all what's being communicated with this whole thing. Right. And that's a inconsistent, a, a biblically inconsistent view of the idea of resting. Yes. So I throw this out. Throw it out. Move on to the next one. This one is a quote by uh, James Randy. Okay. Not sure who this dude is, but I found this this quote. What did Mr. Randy have to say? He said, to recognize that nature has neither a preference for our species nor a bias against it takes only a little courage. Okay, my first question would be, what's your point? It seems to me that this is attack against the fact that we were created with a purpose, right? Okay. Seems to me that it's attacking the idea that humans are supposed to have dominion and stewardship over the earth as we're here. And to really break this paradigm, all you need is a little courage. So what's not being said is it is cowardly to hide under the umbrella that you are here for a reason because nature itself really does not prefer our species or even care about it. Okay. To me, it's a nonsensical statement. Okay. Because nature is not a person. Nature has neither preference nor bias. Those are things that entities have. Hmm. Okay. I missed that. The only reason that this would be important is if nature is deified. Okay. Like Mother Nature. Right. Now we're into a different world. Okay, that's the that's the that's a, a religious statement. That's why I said what was the point? So it only holds any merit whatsoever if it's put into a religious context and then compared against some religious statement or value. Interesting. Outside of that, it seems like a pointless statement. Right. Because you have to borrow things from from other ideas to have it. Right. To give it any power. Well, why does it take courage to notice that? That's like saying that uh, uh, it's like saying that a roller coaster doesn't care whether it's going up or down the hill. And it, and it takes just takes courage. a little bit of courage to notice that. I'm like, <laughs> who care? What are you talking about? OK, but yeah, I think it has. I think you're right. I think it deifies nature to mother nature. That she doesn't care about our species, which is an idea that, that flies in the face of Christianity. Not only that, then if mother, if that's true, mm-hmm. then the green people are going to be upset. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if, if Mother Nature doesn't care about our species, then why are we so busy trying to to appease Mother Nature? Right, and do our duty. Yeah. If it doesn't matter. I always, I, I took it, when I first read it, I took it from a um, a moral stance. Okay. Like you can do whatever you want because there's no consequence? Um, that we're, it, if we're just adhering to the laws of nature. So right. it's, it's almost the flip side because um, like the, the atheist incongruity that I talk about, that they argue both sides okay. and, and come to the conclusion from, from completely separate premises. 
Mm-hmm. So before we had the the Hitchin statement, <clears throat> I challenge you to find one good or noble thing which cannot be accomplished without religion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's impossible. I think it's just arguing the opposite. There is no good and noble things because it's just nature and it doesn't care about good and noble and right and wrong. And you just have to be brave enough to recognize that that's a thing. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, like it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Not at all. Unless you're borrowing and presupposing some type of theology behind it. Yeah, because you'd have to tie it to something else. Like, if nature doesn't have a preference, then what's the value of me being courageous? Is, is nature courageous? Right. No, that's a good point. It really does. It really just does come apart. And and if it's not if it's not a good question, I apologize. It, it seemed a little more substantial when I threw it in here. Well, I was just wondering what what Mr. Randy's point was in all of that. I don't know, but by taken by itself, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Mr. Randy's right now. Right, me either. So for a listener, when you, when you go onto the Instagram and you look at this, read it over, look at the image. It's in front of this beautiful um, stone cave with light shining through. What do you think? Because we know that memes are to trigger emotion. What does it make you feel when you look at it? And this would be a good example to what does it take to think outside of its influence? That's a great question. You know, what does it make you feel? Yeah. Drop us a line. I, I like to hear what you guys think. Yeah. Uh, hit us up on Instagram at uh, ORP podcast. We will and, be there. Uh, let us know what you think about this. With all these memes. <laughs> So we have we have Hitchens again. I actually had to take some slides out because Hitchens showed up a lot. Hitchens is a favorite, apparently. This one I think needs addressed because I hear it all the time and I see it a lot. So Christopher Hitchens states, since it is obviously inconceivable that all religions can't be right, the most reasonable does it say can be right? Mm-hmm. So there's a typo. Yep. It's supposed to say can't be right. It says can be right. Well, no, no, well, but this works though. Okay. Since it's obviously inconceivable that all religions can be right. Oh, can be right. I gotcha. I gotcha. The most reasonable conclusion is that they are all wrong. Correct. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that. Right. That. That's. What yeah. He, I don't know. I got. I got confused when I was reading it. My apologies. No problem. So, what do you think? Uh, okay, so I read this one earlier when I was going through the notes. Okay. And I was like, all right, that one's kind of clever. There are problems with it, obviously. Mm-hmm. My very first question was, if you throw out the religion statement, since it's obviously inconceivable that all atheists can be right, Uh huh. the most reasonable conclusion is they're all wrong. That's funny. I did the same thing, but I did it with women and, and my wife. Since it's obviously inconceivable that all women could be my wife, the most reasonable conclusion is that they are all not my wife. But yeah, there's a problem with just the, the rationale behind this. Right. What's the, interesting is that this is built on some measure of truth. That it's inconceivable that they're all right. Correct. But just because it's impossible for every religion that makes a separate truth claim to all be true, it does not lend itself to be logically succinct that it means none of them can be true. Right. It's so it is possible that one can be true. Right. So we were we did a couple episodes a while back, the trivium quadrivium. Right. And in the trivium we talk about logic and how it's important to to know how to structure thoughts into ideas. This is not doing that accurately. Correct. Because 
two plus two is four, right? Yep. And there's a bunch of numbers. It could be argued that there's an infinite amount of numbers. You keep tacking on digits, right? Okay. That you're going to come up with more numbers than, than you can find religions. And it's inconceivable that every single one of those numbers would be the correct answer to two plus two. That doesn't mean that there is no correct answer to two plus two. Exactly. It just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Logically inconsistent. This is a flawed logical argument. Right. And I'm a little disappointed. I would expect more from Mr. Hitchens given his uh, renowned status in the atheistic community. You would think, but the more I look at it, the more um, emotional their arguments are. And they have a couple good ones. Like if, if we're talking about the Richard Dawkins, the Christopher Hitchens, the Sam Harris's and the like, the, what is it? The, the four horsemen of atheism or whatever. Right. They do make some decent arguments that, that might cause a Christian to, to slip up, but they're so emotionally charged for so much of what they say, but they are smart. So they mix in this level of intelligence with, with statements like this and v- terribly passionate about it. it. It puts you in a position, if you're listening or reading them, to, to be able to, to step outside and, and look at it from, from a logical perspective. But they, especially Dawkins, I know you're talking Hitchens right now, but Richard Dawkins has come under a lot of attack from other atheists that are like, philosophically, your book would not pass a, a year one student. Right. Because philosophically, it just doesn't work. Because as smart as they are and as popular as they are, if you know logic, you know, that's why the trivium is so important, because it teaches you these building blocks of ideas. And when you violate these laws, you don't have to be able to have a PhD. You don't have to be able to write a book to retort these things. You could be like, Hitchens, I'm sorry. But this just doesn't work. You know, there's a there's a scene on on TikTok that I keep seeing of um, I, I I don't know if it's Goodwill Hunting, I, I think it is. Okay. Where there's a bar scene and this guy is trying to impress his chick and he's spouting off some some information or whatever he got from class and Ben Affleck's character walks in. Okay. And he's like, "Yo, cut it." He's like, I, I ain't got time for this. I'm tired of hearing this. The next thing you're about to say is this, 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 and this. And then you're going to, what you're going to you're gonna want to do is respond back this way, this way, and this way. But you're only year one in. So you don't know about this, 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 and this. And he just <laughs> he tears the whole thing apart and then just dismisses it. And the impression I get is that Christopher Hitchens is kind of like that guy in the bar. Okay. Which, you know, if you're dealing with someone who understands logic a bit better. Mm-hmm. The statement alone doesn't do good. Right. That's why I've heard other people say, you know what? These type of people seem to give atheism a bad name. Right. Like there are there are better arguments. Yes. I'm not saying this, but this is what they say. There are better arguments for the atheist than what's being put forth here. This just seems like the person who's got the spotlight. They got the juice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this is what they're talking about. And I'm like, this, this is this is this is elementary. It is. Because, again, all I had to do was was take out the idea of religion and just pop in atheists and see if it worked. And it doesn't. Right. You put anything else in that spot, and it's it's not the same. Now, I do think, at least this one, this is this is a shotgun meme. Okay. Because this is pointed at, at all religions. Right. Not just Christianity. I'm like, <laughs> come on, you guys. Step up to the line. You need to get peppered up, too. You need some bird shot. It'll help you out. Right, right. 
But now this is an easy, easily dismissible meme. If you take the time, if if you're unpracticed, it might True. throw you for a loop. Well, I think what it does appeal to is to a society that is looking for a reason to not believe in a God. Yes. This frees you up. If, if you can say that all religions are, are wrong because they can't all be right, mm-hmm. then hell away with religion as a whole. Is this almost, and I'm, I'm still working on these, is this begging the question? Because it makes the argument the most reasonable conclusion is that all religions are wrong. Without proving? Without proving. Without giving any I example on right. why you should think it's wrong. That's a good catch. Yeah, I didn't catch that. But I think, yeah, this is a clear clear cut textbook example of begging the question and the logical fallacy that that, that, that is. All right. Cool. Sorry, Mr. Hitchens. Not today. So this one, for our listeners, it might be a little difficult, but I, I really wanted to tackle this one. So it's got two pictures. <laughs> I just read it. You just read it? Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> so it looks like a video game, uh, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a cute cartoon uh, CGI image. It says, how religion spread according to religious people. And this guy's got like a, like a trumpet and rainbows are coming out of it. And it's just going over this nice, uh, cottage in the countryside and, and, and stone walkway. And it's, it's, it's just, just shooting rainbows. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Rainbows. And it looks like butterflies. Okay. Butterflies too. I didn't see that. Yeah. Again, we'll put this on Instagram. So if you're curious, you can look at it right now as you're listening. Uh, but then the bottom half of this image is it says how religion actually spread. And it's the same dude, but instead of his his rainbow gun, it's a flamethrower. And he's torching everything. Everything's up in flames. Yeah, that's vicious. So what are your, what are your first thoughts here? <laughs> that's a hilarious <laughs> meme. Like, that's so wrong. Uh, my first thought is who, who's saying this? Well, I think the argument would be that there actually have been moments, and depending on what religion you're talking about, because they say now that Islam is one of the fastest growing religions, but it's doing that by force, and you're not allowed to leave or they'll kill you. So so there is an aspect to religion being spread by force that is realistic. Okay. And... Um, and it was it was even part of this that that caused the uh, Kazarian Jew anomaly that we see happening today, because as Islam was spreading and Christianity was spreading and 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 Judaism was spreading more Kabbalah, but Judaism was spreading. Mm. They were moving into the Kazarian region and they had to pick a side essentially because there was this somewhat forceful expansion of ideologies. Okay. That is not the only way that religion is spread, and I don't think that it's the most effective way that religion is spread. And okay, and so, let me, well, let me let me be specific. I do think that it is a very popular mechanism for paganism to spread. I don't think it's the most efficient way, and I don't think it's the the way that Jesus would have instructed Christianity to spread. Okay, I can give you that. But since you're chopping at the bit. Let, Let's see what you've got to say. Okay, well, I've got problems. The first one is how religion spread according to religious people. What religion and what people? Yeah. See, you're so good at slowing down. Like, I see this and I was just off to Kazar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, you were talking about Kazar and I was like, man, I got to get up on that. Yeah, (laughs) I got to go back and do it. That's what I'm doing on Tuesday. 
Monday, um, I've already got a sign for stuff I got to do. But Tuesday, the way you're, I'm getting back to the Kazarians. <laughs> the way you're just like, hold up. This right here doesn't make... And I'm like, dang it. I got to come all the way back <laughs> to the beginning. But, well, but like, no, it's, it's good. You got to do that. You got to ask that question. And then how religion actually spread. Okay, the first... The, the problem, we were talking... I don't know if it was in this episode or, or a prior one. Um, about... I think it was a prior episode where we were talking about not just the issue with the protagonist, mm-hmm. but the fact that we tend to insert ourselves into whatever we're reading. So when it says how religion spread... It's easy to think that they're talking about mine. Yeah, I did that. I fell victim of that right here. Right, but that's not what it says. Right. So if we're saying how religion, this is how Christians think that Christianity spread, Mm -hmm. rainbows and butterflies, when it really spread via torching everything, okay, that's one thing. But I don't necessarily have a reason to get upset here. You haven't, this, this person hasn't defined their position well enough for me to feel personally attacked. Okay. More importantly, if they're saying that religion spread by fire and torturing every torching everything, right? Mm-hmm. Define religion for me. If religion is defined as a belief and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods, okay, that's one thing. If religion, like according to Google, is defined as a system of faith and worship. All right, that's another thing. Or if it's defined, again, by Google as a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find that thing that this person subscribes extreme importance to, which I'm going to guess is freeing people up from this idea that religion <laughs> is just this, this innocent type of idea that just spread freely. Okay, that's cool. If that's what you're thinking, that's what's really important to you, how are they going about spreading their idea? Okay. This isn't spread. This meme is not a, a, a butterflies and rainbows meme. Right. This is a torch meme. Right? Uh-huh. So the very thing they're accusing other religions of doing is the thing that they're guilty of. That's interesting. Throw this one out. Doesn't pass muster. All right. I was going to add one other thing. Go ahead. Just since I was off on this tangent of putting myself in this position and thinking that they're talking about Christianity, I think the the most impressive growth of Christianity would have been... It would under persecution? It would have been under persecution. I was thinking about that. But not where the church is persecuting the people. The church was getting persecuted. Yes, by both the, the Jewish establishment and Rome. Yep. For hundreds of years, it was illegal to be a Christian, and you would be killed. Vlad the Impaler went to to uh, bed at night listening to Christians getting tortured in his courtyard. And it was under this level of persecution. Can you imagine how sadistically twisted that person has to be? Like, we're not just talking about, you know, a person gets impaled and they got that, you know, video game. Right. No, like actual screams of Scream, torture. blood curdling screams as somebody's being cut open, ripped, burned, mutilated. And that's what you go to sleep. That's messed like up. there are things I can't hear in movies because it sticks with me. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to sleep to that. <laughs> I, I have a friend who stayed over several times. Okay. And he, um, I was like, you know, here's Netflix or whatever, put on whatever you want. And for whatever reason, he liked to pick, violent movies and turn them up maybe not real loud but just louder than i would prefer and they're not just horrible like 
Django. It's a it's a decent movie for for cinema's sake. Yeah. But it's a violent movie. Right. Not one that I would think to go to sleep to. And uh, he's he stayed over a couple times even since being married. And my wife tried to watch that that Jamie Fox vampire movie. Okay. And she watched it halfway through. She texted me. She was like, oh, I have another movie for your buddy to watch while he sleeps over. Oh, that one? <laughs> yeah, because it's violent and there's screaming. It's, I thought it was funny. That's, that, yeah. But I, it, it's it's a weird, even that is not as bad as actually resting and sleeping to the sound of people being tortured in your courtyard. Right? That's crazy. People, you you have the power to set free. I mean, there's people I don't like. I don't want to go to sleep to hearing them being mutilated. Right. I mean, one or two kicks in the throat, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but not even as a, as a nightly kick in the throat, I got to go to bed. <laughs> right. You know, you don't want to necessarily hear that. That speaks to something that I would say is satanic. Oh, for sure. Easily yeah. satanic. But it's under this level of, of torture and oppression that you get the small group of people from Jerusalem that took essentially took over the Roman empire to such a point that Constantine had to uh, rule that Christianity was no longer illegal. And then later Theodosius made it the state religion of Rome because even under pain of death, the numbers kept spreading and affected the entire government. That is how Christians are supposed to affect change in society, not by voting. Anyway, Back well, back to this episode. <laughs> that soapbox showed up quick. My bad. My here's bad. the here's the other thing. And again, they th- this is just vague enough to apply to whoever, wherever you want it. Right. But let's say they are applying this to Christianity. Where in history can we see that that Christianity burnt down society under Catholicism? Exactly. Which and isn't really Christianity. There you go. Yep. That's my point. Uh huh. So again, they would be taking a false form of Christianity and elevating that as a standard model, right? And, and be then like using a, it to like a straw man approach, mm-hmm. using it to debunk the I don't know what the right word is the the high ground, the moral superiority of, of that worldview, right? There's a lot right. of problems embedded in this, there but is. visually, this is very effective. It is. It appeals to the emotions quick. <laughs> I was going to say, though, back to the, the Catholic thing. It would be like me going and robbing a grocery store and shooting the uh, the cashier. Well, that escalated quickly. In the name of Jason Spears. Oh, and everybody hates Jason everybody Spears? Everybody hates Jason. You had, no, you had nothing to do with it. You, I, I'm, I've known you for a while. I think you have a pretty strong stance against robbing grocery stores and shooting cashiers. What were their fuel prices? <laughs> it's, a, it's a grocery store. Or I said gas station at first, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I, I need to know, okay? You're not helping your case. There might be like an anti-Jason Spears campaign now. That's all right. My name is common enough that I can appeal and say, <laughs> hey, that wasn't, they did it in the name of that other Jason it was, Spears. It was a different Jason. Okay, yeah. I got you. But yeah, it's just as nonsensical. If, if you look at how Catholicism actually works and what they've done, it is not in line with Christianity. Right. But these aren't just... Arguments for argument's sake. That's not what we're doing here. The the Ayala effect really dictates that we've got to tie it to something real, which I hope we've done. But it takes me to this guy, Johann um, Wolfgang Goth. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Have you heard of him, Jason? 
No, I have not. So he's a little bit of a Renaissance man, you know, jack of all trades, uh, alive in early 1800s. And he has this statement. The thing that I find so fascinating is it's from the 1800s, but it sounds like it could be applied to the media of today. Really? What do you say? He says, truth has to be repeated constantly because error also is being preached all of the time and not just by a few, but by the multitude. In the press, encyclopedias, in schools and universities, everywhere, error holds sway, feeling happy and comfortable in the knowledge of having majority on its side. Wow. That's a heck of a statement. It is. And yeah, I was listening to you read that, and I'm like, that does sound like he's talking about right now. It's crazy. Not back in the the 1800s. Right. I mean, you look back and you're like, they had it pretty decent then. Mm -hmm. It was 1800s. (laughs) Ironically, you know, we're talking about, this is uh, Madame Blavatsky time, isn't it? I think so. When she... 18... Theosophy's 1875, right? Okay. So she would have been before that. It would have been about that time. I wonder if, is he talking about Blavatsky? Uh, I I don't know, but there at least are some major things that that are happening at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Things that would have been pretty significant that that are actually affecting even his reality at the the moment. And it's kind of crazy to think that it continued on, even into our time. Because we tend to look backwards at some of this stuff and go, those were the good days. Well, it's interesting that, yeah, he uses the term all the time. Because we think back then, oh, there wasn't commercials, there wasn't Edward Bernays, there wasn't the internet, it wasn't constantly in your face. And we might be right, but that he's still saying, look, there is still error and lies that saturate all of this stuff. Right. Ironically, I don't think he was talking about Blavatsky. Why? is it that, Do we have our timelines messed up? Well, no, no. It was at about the time, but she was born in 1831. And if he uh, died in okay. 1832, she hadn't had a chance to get on the scene and make her impact. However, the people who were influencing her and some of her, um, her mentors would have been on the stage. Okay. So I could still see occultism and Satanism having its, its impact and influence in society. It's just kind of crazy to, to, to track it out from back then to here and see how it really hasn't gotten better. Right. Well, if, if Satan's really part of it, right, we call it the satanic control matrix mm-hmm. and we've connected it to the, the efforts of the elites and all, and all of that. But I've not actually given much thought until this moment. What did the satanic control matrix look like in the 1800s? Cause this guy is saying at the press encyclopedia schools and university everywhere. I think there was a satanic control matrix even back then. Yeah. It was already in there. It was version 2.6. That's crazy. They hadn't updated it yet with the latest, latest release. <laughs> That's crazy, because we know the the satanic control matrix is a matrix of control that we see spread across multiple sectors that would seem to the untrained eye is disconnected, but they're really interconnected, moving to accomplish the same goal. What's the goal? I think the goal is to dethrone Christianity, not just from society through brainwashing techniques, but from the hearts and minds of the world's citizenry via things like demonic-inspired education. Okay. And what they want to do is they want to recreate the old, old world order 
and allow it to provide the ascension to the Antichrist. Interesting. So that's why Operation Red Pill is here. Because the satanic control matrix exists, because lies and error are being spoken at nauseum. You know, we said this uh, a couple episodes ago, but brainwashing is constantly trying to wash the truth out and set in lies. Yes. And so you have to you have to rewash your brain. And scripture recognizes that because it talks about washing yourself in the, the water of the word. Now, it's it's re- record. It, it's referencing a husband and wife scenario. Mm-hmm. But it's applicable across the genders. Right. You have to constantly put on the mind of Christ. You have to wash out and wash off the filth of this world, the satanic mind that is constantly being bum it's constantly being thrown at us to the degree that we are bombarded with it daily, hourly. That's the only place of refuge. Right. Is to really hide within the pages of scripture. Mm-hmm. To hide within the walls of God's structured way of living. Right. And you have to put on the same mindset. Can you imagine Jesus really on this planet, sensitive to more things than we are, and being able maybe to hear lies at a much greater velocity than what we do? Hmm. Especially if you can look into the heart of man and know what he's thinking. Uh huh. Come on. How many lies could you hear? Just, you know, just your immediate surroundings. I don't want to go like Superman and be like, you know, when he can hear all the people talking in Metropolis. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shut up. I'm so glad in this technological day and age that that's the sound effect that we get for this episode. Right. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine really the lies he could hear? It'd be nuts. Not just the people talking about, oh, there goes that that bastard kid. Yeah. You know, Mary was cheating on him. It's a shame. shame. They should have stoned her. It's just a shame. Mm Mm-hmm. He just, doesn't even know who his daddy is. Just a scourge on our, our culture. I remember my dad was growing up back in the day. They wouldn't have let that stand. Oh, hi, Jesus. How you doing? Good to see you. <laughs> I hear he's turning water into wine these days. Drunkard family. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, okay, that's just running the mill crap. Right. I mean, much more serious lies. What happens when you're around Pharisees at the synagogue of Satan and you could actually hear them? concocting new lies against you. The plotting. The thing that I'd be interested to get his take on okay. is to be able to hear the lies from the celestial round. I was getting to that. Influencing the minds of the human beings. Yeah, I was getting to that. Okay. But that would be crazy, right? Uh-huh. Not to mention, okay, we've kind of made that third-party type lies. What about the ones directed at him? Like? Oh, you know you're not going to amount to anything, right? You know, this idea of you being the son of God is crap. You sure you're not delusional? Who walks on water? You dream that. Huh. Oh, you have a grand purpose, do you? Grand like what? You're out here in the streets, son. You're living under tents. I thought you were supposed to be the son of God, baby. Yeah. You ain't got you a mansion? Now, Herod's got a mansion. You ain't gonna let Herod out God you, are you? I mean, if you're not sure, go ahead and... and and jump off this cliff. I mean, I'm just saying, I wouldn't let Herod out guide me, but you do you, boo-boo. Yeah. You should be okay jumping off the cliff, right? Should be. Angel wings and things I like mean, that? I it, mean, it's written. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. 
if Christ had to undergo these assaults, we're going to have to undergo them too. Right. I think that's important for people to to wrap their minds around. Mm-hmm. You have to take the time to understand the things that are going on around you. You need to you have to take the time to evaluate the things that are being said. But the most important way to respond is that you have to understand what scripture says. That's that you were talking a moment ago about the model that God displays for us, right? Uh-huh. That's the model that Jesus displayed. Right. It is actually the the un, the knowing and understanding of scripture that provides the most succinct response to the lies of, of the enemy. Ooh, I like that. And we have to keep that in mind. Because if we don't have that, then we're able to fall victim to to memes, to cartoons, to song lyrics, and just general feelings of of dis-ease. Yeah. That's the battleground that we're in. I would agree. There's a lot of people that, um, uh, and a lot of podcasts, and, and, and I'm not attacking them for this, but we don't want to tell you what to think. We don't want to tell you what to think, right? Like they just offer information. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's good for just the sake of information. And we, we aren't here, Operation Red Pill isn't here to tell you what to think. We really want to help people learn how to think. Because there, there's a difference. There are laws of logic. There is a right way to go about thinking. Now, we can all think different things, but you have to get there from a logical perspective. And, and that's what we really want to help instill people. Like even reading the Bible, you need to go into logically because God is a logical being. Right. The, it's the, it's the, the baby steps, the foundation of like you were saying is putting on the mind of God is learning how to, how to think correctly. Because logic, it, it's really a, a completely different language. And if you don't know how to speak it, then no matter what's coming at you, it can really just end up sounding like this. And you don't want to hear that. So here's the question that we got to deal with. You know, again, in the information age, are we all benefiting from this sea of ideas that we find ourselves exposed to on a daily basis? Like there's this idea that um, we're not, we're, we're drowning in data, but starving for information. Yeah. I like right? that. Mm-hmm. You know, or are we actually in a battlefield which turns truth into an attack, a continuous attack? I think that one. You know what? I, I, I think that it might be an admixture of both, but it's definitely the second issue. Okay. That's the most important. You know, do we are, are we benefiting from all the ideas we find ourselves in? You know what? I, I wouldn't say all. Definitely some of them. But even if we are, I think a person does have to recognize that we are in a battlefield in which truth is constantly under continuous attack. I believe it was Churchill, I think, who said that truth is the first casualty of any war. I think so. I think it was Churchill. But but that's an interesting idea. Truth is the thing that we're always after. Mm-hmm. And if truth is not being espoused, then what do you have? That's the thing that's worth chasing. It is. That's why you take apart these memes, because if they're not speaking truth to you, 
then like we said earlier, they're converting you, but they're converting you with lies. That's part of the brainwashing. Right. They're washing out truth and they're setting in lies. Mm -hmm. So the pursuit of truth is paramount. And you have to realize that in this dynamic warfare environment that we are situated in called life, as Johan said, you're going to constantly be under attack. Error is being espoused from every place possible, which means that the serious follower of Christ, the thinking believer, has got to have a fortified mentality so that they can withstand that type of assault and return fire. Nobody just wants to walk through getting shot at. Right. If you're going to shoot at me, give me something to shoot back. Mm-hmm. I don't like just shooting. ping. Uh, hey, that wasn't nice, guys. Right. Oh, 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 we shooting today, is we? One minute, please. <laughs> oh, we're shooting today. Oh, yes. For sure. Uh, Buggy 6'3", send the rain. Uh, we've kind of run through the memes that we have here, okay. but um, I think it would be cool for our listeners. If they've got memes, if you've run into things on social media that maybe you're not sure how to interact with or you just want our take on it, send them to us. And, and when we get enough, we'll, we'll do another Bring the Rain episode and answer the, uh, the listeners' memes. That'd be dope. How could they send it to us? Uh, Instagram. Which is ORP Podcast, right? At ORP Podcast? Yep. Um, you can uh, send us an email at let's talk at orppodcast.com. Yeah, any of those ways would be awesome to get a hold of us and just drop that meme in there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we might do another uh, Bring the Rain episode. That'd be fun, especially with, with ones that the listeners find. That, that could be a good time. I like that idea. Yeah. But to, to wrap this all up, I think we've got we've to stay sharp. We have to continually learn to engage our brains. The television shuts down our brain from working properly. You know, all of these memes trigger emotions. And when emotions increase, intelligence decreases. It's, it's a constant war against your mind. And the first thing they try to do is shut it down. So we got to step up. We got to make sure we engage our because the powers that be are banking on our ignorance. They're banking on our apathy and our inability to engage with the agendas that they're putting in place. Right. That's why this is so important, because we are really at a war. But one day, we won't be constantly under this ideological fire. One day, truth will be absolutely known. One day, our enemies will be taken and eliminated, and that includes the ideological ones. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our Savior-in-Chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw. That's right. Run a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages that we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? 
you still gotta go get them. Now our task and order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone, and I mean anyone, that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me, you take fire, you get fire. And I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again, fighting on the front line. 10-4.